0: church sermon podcast we hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor joe still
1: and for more information about us please visit riverbluff.org
0: we are continuing in our series today um, of restoration and uh Coming to understand that our God is a God who, uh, his intent is to restore all of the brokenness that has taken place on our planet one day. And that for those who come to know him personally in their fam in the family of God through Jesus, that he begins that restoration immediately by putting the Holy Spirit in us. And he's, he's a seed, if you would, as we talked about last week. He's the seed of the resurrection of Christ. And a promise for us and the beginning point of that restoration. Now this morning, uh, we're going to look at something very specific and that's how God wants to restore financial peace to his children. And usually uh, as a message is kinda of coming together in my mind. God gives me something very specific to pray for those who will be in the hearing of the message. And, and today it's this uh, my prayer for us today is that uh, we will see that experiencing financial peace will never be about how much you earn or have. That financial peace is only intimately rooted in how you know God. I'm praying that we come to know that today. Now, this weekend, uh, this Friday night and Saturday night uh, and Sunday morning, we had the privilege for the very first time of keeping our two-year-old grandson overnight. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's back there uh, with Kathy, at least for the moment. And uh, his name's Emmett. And um, one of the things that I, I discovered is that hanging out with a two-year-old 24-7 at 56 is different than it was at 26. <laughs> Vastly different. Um, just, just kind of an incredible difference. One of the other things that I noticed about Emmett uh, at two is Emmett has no financial worries. I don't know what's up with that kid. He, he has no financial worries. He has perfect financial peace. You know, we took him into a store and he didn't care how much stuff cost, he just wanted something, you know. He, he just perfectly at financial peace. See, here's the deal. Somewhere along the way in our journey this world robs us of financial peace. It, it steals it from us. You know, when, when, it, when it comes to money in our day and age, some of you would say, yeah, my money does a lot of talking. But all I ever hear it say is, bye. Anybody feel like that sometimes? I saw you hear your money. I heard about one guy not long ago who he has a ritual of every six months he goes out and he buys a new wallet. And uh, when he was asked, why, why, do you, why do you get a new wallet? The other one's hardly even worn. He says, I keep hoping that this next one is going to come with free refills. I don't, if you find a deal like that, how about, you know, let, let me know. Now, one of the things that I, I want to, I, I want to bring you assurance in today. Uh, and I really do mean this, is that just because, even if you work for the government, just because there's another government shutdown, the light at the end of your tunnel has not been turned off. Um, there, there, there is hope in the midst. See, uh, our God gives his people the hope of restoration in every aspect of our lives. Now, one of the, what I think of as the most amazing all-encompassing, unbelievable, incredible promises in God's Word is found in Philippians 4.19. And I want us to start there. And we're going to move through this verse kind of quickly. But it's a guarantee from God about your whole life. And God understands that when he's making this promise, it includes your financial peace in your life. Philippians 4.19 says this, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God says he's going to do this. Just phrase by phrase I want to walk through this passage for a minute. It first of all says God will. Not maybe, not he might. It says God will. God is putting his character out there. He's putting his reputation on the line with this statement. God says he will. Then he says he will supply every need. Look at that word every. Every need, that could be all of your needs, some translations say. He says, I'm going to supply every need that you have. Now, it doesn't say every greed. It says every need. There's a difference between what you and I want and what we need. And sometimes we have a hard time telling the difference. You know, good parents and good grandparents don't give their kids or their grandchildren everything they want. You know, had we done that, all, you know, Emmett would have eaten this weekend would have been, you know, animal crackers or something like that. Um, we, we, he had to have other things, you know. Your heavenly father is the perfect father, and so he's not going to give you everything you want, but he will supply all of your needs. You know, if he gave you everything you wanted, it would destroy your soul. And so God will not do that because of his great love for you. But he says, I will supply every need that you have from Where? From his riches in glory. Now you should thank him right now that he didn't say from Joe's assets. He said from his. He didn't say from yours. He said he's going to supply this from his riches. It's not based on us. You know, God's not like our government. He's not going to have to get permission when resources run out. There's not going to be a vote in heaven. God says he's going to provide every need that you have from his riches and glory. And then he says this way, this verse ends in Christ Jesus. And what that tells me is this, this promise from God is not for everyone on our planet. It's only for those who find themselves in a personal intimate relationship with the God of the universe through his son Jesus. Through trusting in what Jesus did on the cross and the power of the resurrection. God has promised to meet the needs of everybody who's done that. This is for those who are in Christ. He says, if you're my child, if you trusted me that way. Well, some of you are sitting in here this morning saying, then how come my needs aren't being met? I've trusted Jesus. Some of you are saying, I know some people who are believers, Christians, whose needs aren't being met. And so, because we need to always deal with reality here, we need to face those questions that come up when that happens. You know, did God fail? Is he not telling the truth? Did God lie? Is he exaggerating on this particular issue? And the answer, of course, is no. Absolutely not. See, here's one of the realities about any promise that you come across from God in this book. Any promise always has attached to it at least one premise. At least one, sometimes more, at least one condition that is our part. God is saying in his promise I'm going to do my part you have a role to play in this as well. And God in his word over and over again has laid out financial principles in his word that lead to financial peace. But we've got to come to know those. Now, we're not going to be able to cover all of those today. There are principles in God's Word about saving, about spending, about giving, about, um, you know, investing, about stewarding, just all throughout the Bible. One of the things that we offer uh, at River Bluff from time to time is uh, it's about a 13-week journey. It's entitled Financial Peace. It's a, a video-driven study uh, done by a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey. And there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, at least tens of thousands of people who have found Financial Peace because in that class, it covers almost all of the financial principles found in God's Word just rooted in in a study of God's Word. And I can tell you that there are many people sitting in this room today who because of walking through and applying the principles of scripture have moved from financial bondage to financial freedom and are living in financial peace. Now, if at the end of this message today, you're someone who says, okay, that, that got me started thinking, but I still need a lot of help. There's obviously a lot that I'm not aware of uh, in God's word that I need to apply. Then here's what I want to encourage you to do is plan to be a part of that study. And here's the other thing that I want to I say to you. If at the end of the message today, you're saying, I need additional help. Then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. There are connection cards in the seatbacks in front of you. I'm going to ask you to give us your contact information and write on that card financial peace. And if between this service and the service at nine thirty this morning, we have five households who are saying, "I want, I will invest, I will go through this study," then we will find somebody to lead it. I don't know who yet. I'm this is I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Uh, but I believe God wants to. If this body needs that, God will provide. I believe that about Him, okay? And so if that's if you find yourself at the end of this message saying, "This this has got me started thinking," but I know I'm going to need more help, I just want to encourage you to do that. Drop it in the offering. Plate, um, when it comes around. Now what, what I want us to think about, um, I want us to look at four, we're just going to look at four of these premises, four of these uh, engagements that you and I can engage in that help us experience God's desire to restore financial peace to us. God wants to do that. But there's something that I want you to grab hold of before we step into those uh, four principles if you would, those four premises, and, and it's true about everything in God's Word. Everything in God's word is trying to point to, point us to God, to who he is. A couple of stories, accounts from the scriptures that may be familiar to you that I just want to point out some things. In Genesis chapter 22, there's the record of the account of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, literally sacrifice him physically. And what that journey looked like. What that story looked like. Verse 1 starts out this way. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. So there's this test that's coming in Abraham's life. God's not testing him because God's trying to figure out something about Abraham. God knows Abraham. God knows the intent of our hearts. God's testing Abraham so Abraham's learned something about God. That's what's going on here. We get to the end of the story. And verse 14 tells us what Abraham comes to know about God. It says, so Abraham, after he went through this, after God provided, after God stopped the hand of Abraham from sacrificing his son, and God provides a ram, this is what Abraham comes to know about God. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Some of you who who are fans of the Hebrew Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. Abraham came to know God through that testing. In Exodus chapter 16, Exodus 16 is about the the part of the 40 years, the early part of the 40 years wandering in the desert by God's people. And it's when God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. The people were grumbling that they didn't have enough to eat. And so God says, I'm going to feed you. Uh, In verse 4 of chapter 16, God sent manna. He says this, he says, the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. There's that word test again. God says I'm going to test my people. How many of God's people passed the test swimmingly? Some did, some didn't. Verse, Verse 19 says this. Then Moses said to the people, Do not keep any of that manna stuff for the morning. But some of them didn't listen. How many of you probably would have been some of them? Anybody out there other than me? Some of them didn't listen and kept some till in the morning. And by then it was filled with mackets and had a terrible smell. Has anybody here ever been through a season of life where your financial peace stunk? Just had a terrible smell, you know? It just, it it was just, it, it was just difficult. See, there are principles in the Bible, but behind every principle is the character of God, who God is. And if you don't get anything else today, here's what I would love for you to walk out of here with, and it's simply this. God's great desire is for his people to trust him as their God who provides. Besides all these principles, all the, the promises, all the premises, what God wants you to know as his children is that He loves you. You matter to Him and that He is the God who provides. So everything that we look at today, all the promises and principles and premises, all of those things, point back to this. The God we serve is the God who provides. The God of the Bible, the God who longs to be known. He, he provides and so He reveals Himself. He, he wants to be known. See, one of our biggest problems when we come to this book, what we do is we we pick it up most of the time looking for a quick solution, a quick answer to a problem. We just want a quick takeaway. You know what God wants? God wants you to know him. He wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. Not just to run you through a problem, solve an issue. He wants you to have confidence in him. I want to take you to another Old Testament passage. This is the book of Malachi. Um, Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now that passage of scripture there is talking about John the Baptist and then Jesus. After Malachi prophesied, God did not speak to his people for 400 years. There was a 400 year silence of God at the end of the prophecy of, of the Old Testament. And it, it ended here. With this promise of this coming one who would show up in the temple with the covenant of God. With the, this new covenant uh, of the Lord. Let's continue reading now. Verse 7. From the days of your father you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them, says the Lord. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? God says this, will a man rob God? But You were robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. See, God right here is making a connection between how we come back to intimate relationship to him and our financial peace. God is making this connection. And then he, he tells us there's. I want you to see how it's manifesting. He says you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. God's saying there are consequences for this behavior. There are consequences in your financial peace. You're going to experience financial frustration. Um, and not only that, the entire nation is going to be impacted by it. Not just individuals. It has national consequences. You're cursed with, with this curse. But now God begins giving his path for restoration. Verse 10 he says, here's what you do. This is our part. This is where the premise comes in. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Did you notice the test The switched now? God is saying, I'm not testing you. God is saying, I want you to test me in this. God is saying, I want you to learn something about me this way. I want you to know who I am. That I'm the God of Abraham who provides. I'm the God of Moses and the children of Israel that provides. I'm your God and I will provide. And he wants to develop a deep, personal, intimate relationship with him. Where you have this certain knowledge. That no matter what you face circumstantially in this world. God will be there to provide he goes on to tell you how you will begin to experience that in reality. Uh, G- he said, "Put me to the test," says the Lord of Hosts, "if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is what? No more need." What if Philippians 4:19 said that God was going to do? Supply what? All your needs. He's, he's pointing out a pathway, this provisional pathway. And part of this is called tithing. It's one of the principles in the scriptures. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But God goes on here in verse 11. He tells you another way that you're going to experience the blessing. He said, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Have you ever felt stuff to being devoured around you? You know, just seems like possessions are being devoured, relationships, things that are being devoured. Here's what God says. He said, I'm going to rebuke that. Wouldn't that be cool to just hear God stand and say, I rebuke that. He, he's doing that. He goes on to say, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Think of that as your labor. Uh, uh, your, your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. God says that if you will, you know, part of the experience of the experience of him supplying all of your needs is that one of the ways he's going to do that is your stuff will last longer. Your stuff will just last longer. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Then verse 12, he says, Then all nations will call you blessed. All nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the word of hosts. You. You will be this, this space on planet earth where people see that God is delighted. God's saying, you'll bring me glory through your financial peace. See, I want to say it one more time. God's great desire is for his people to trust him as their God who provides. God, God desires that now I want to get back to those kind of four premises and we're going to move through these kind of quickly um, just four premises and, of how God works to supply all our needs, what, how we get involved in this, what role we can play in this and so I like to think of these as how we're going to grow in this restoration how we're going to grow in God's restoration, part of what we engage the first one is this financial peace will start to sprout in your soul, in your life when you begin asking God for help When you begin to ask God. See, I I have to trust God enough to come to him and make a request to him. Jesus' half-brother, James, in James chapter 4 verse 2 says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. I don't know how much clearer scripture can be. He's saying we need to go. God, God is waiting for us to ask him. He wants to help. But one of the huge problems of, of the Christian community is we don't ask God. I want you to think about the last time you went to make a major purchase. Let's say a car. Did you go ask God before you decided to buy it? Did, did you ask him, God, uh, do I need a car? Or do I just think I, I need a car? Did you, did you pray through this, this major purchase or did you just go out and do it? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And that ask, seek, knock, that's really him saying the same thing three different ways. He's just saying ask. Ask. See, God wants you to get the message that he wants to connect with you here. He wants you to ask him. Over 29 times in in the New Testament, God says ask. He says, I want you to ask of me. I I believe this with my whole heart that one one of the primary reasons that more Christ followers are not seeing the miraculous hand of God move in their lives in many areas is because we don't ask for it we don't ask to see God do great great things we, 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 we don't do that and God is saying I want you to ask what one of the ways to think about this I don't remember who I heard it say it the first time but it's basically the, a principle of, of pray for it before you pay for it just pray through it stop and ask God see God is giving you a chance to speak with him about it before you go put it on your MasterCard He's saying I might have a better plan. And so the question that begs to be asked here is when it comes to our financial peace, do I depend more on Visa than I do Jesus? Do I depend more on a line of credit than I I do on Jesus? You know, way too many people, way too many even in in the church of Jesus practice this idea of, you know, I'm going to live within my means by charging everything you know that is not living within our means. God says ask me. Before you pay, pray. Now why does God do that? Why, Why would God say live that way? It's because God is a loving father and loving fathers long to give their kids gifts. Loving fathers want to do that. They just want to give, you know, walking through the store with a two-year-old. I wanted to give him everything that he wanted. I didn't. But I, I just did. In John chapter 16, Jesus has his disciples around him. And in verse 24, he says this, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Why does God want you to ask? So he can give. Why does God want to give? So you can receive. Why does God want you to receive? So that you will be filled with joy. He wants his children filled with joy. Why? Because joy-filled Christians are a great advertisement for Jesus. And sour lemon-sucking Christians just aren't. Joy-filled Christians or it just, joy-filled Christians shout, my God provides. They just, they just know it. You know, this is something that I've come to learn over time. If I will pray about my finances, at least as much as I worry about them, I have a whole lot less to worry about. If I will just invest equal time, God says Ask. God says I'm waiting to answer you. Second premise for growing in financial peace is this first it sprouts when I begin asking but then it begins to blossom I believe when I learn to be content. Financial peace begins to blossom when I start learning how to be content. And I believe it's because God is more interested in our character than our comfort. You've heard me say that before. See, he, he's more interested in our growing to be like Jesus. He, he's, he's not just interested in making life easy. So he's watching our attitudes when we bump into things in this life. So, you know, if I bought into the system or you've bought into the system that having more will sometime make you, somehow make you happier... Or, you know, if, if I just intended to use whatever wealth God gave me for myself or if it caused me to start thinking more about things than about God, why would God want to help? Why would God want to help promote a life like that? Why would God want to fan the flame of, a, of a, an addiction like that? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see Paul writing to a young man that he's discipling. And he says this to Paul. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. If you're looking for great wealth, man, there's a line for it. True godliness and great contentment. It goes on to say, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. And we can take nothing with us when we leave it. We can't take anything with us. How many of you have ever been in a room when a child was born? Okay. When you watch that child being born, how many of those kids came in a room with something in their hand? The, the only thing that children enter the world with is an umbilical cord. And what happens to it immediately? It's cut loose. They, they don't come in the world with anything. When we leave this world, we leave with nothing that we earned here. The only thing that we can leave with is a relationship with Jesus to take us to heaven. You know when we face that, that hour one of our dear brothers down, down here, Yancey Rigney, his dad Coy, that Yancey had an opportunity to help lead to Jesus years ago. Coy went home to be with the Lord uh, this weekend. And uh, he, he didn't take anything but his relationship with Jesus with him. You know, he didn't. But there's great joy in knowing that. So I just pray for the Rigney family uh, as they travel to Kentucky and uh, just for the grief that they're going through. Pray for them. But the reality is none of us when we face this thing called death are taking anything with us from this planet. Even if God gave you 80 or so years, you know, all that stuff you get is, is going to get left. And so God wants us to understand that we need to just learn to be content without it. Or, or with it. God says I don't want you to sweat it. I don't want you to let things become the most important thing in your life. Learn to be content. So, so what is when the Bible talks about contentment what what is it? Well let me let me kinda go at it this way for a moment. Let me tell you what it's not. Contentment is not not having any goals. You can have goals and, and still be content. Contentment is not, not having ambition. You can still have ambition. Contentment is not even not having financial goals. Financial goals are good. They're, God wants you to have them. Contentment means that I, my happiness is not dependent on any circumstance related to any of those. My happiness, my joy, is only dependent on the God who provides. One of the great issues I think that Christians get trapped in when it comes to financial peace is the trap of W-H-E-N thinking. When thinking, not W-I-N thinking, W-H-E-N. When thinking goes like this, when I get such and such, I'll be happy. You know, when, when this deal comes through, then I'll be happy. When I get this house or this car or this, you know, financial status, this job, I'll be when I retire, I'll, I'll be happy. Get the house paid off. I'll be. If your contentment is wrapped up in any W-H-E-N thinking, you will never be content. Because there's always going to be one more thing. See, contentment is not not having goals, it's what your, your trust is in. Where your focus is in, not on your circumstances. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and said, I've learned to be content chapter 4 he says I know both how to have a, a little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content. And what Paul says there is this process of contentment is a learned process. You know what that tells me? It doesn't come naturally. It is unnatural for us in this broken fallen world to be content. It is, it is supernatural. when you see somebody who's content that is a supernaturally filled person. Somebody who is content in their life. It's, it's just unnatural for us. And so it's by the grace of God that we move from discontent to being content. And God's at work in that. Do you have something to learn about contentment? See, one of the, the easiest ways, I think, to learn contentment, how to be content, is to deal with, stop those things that create you being discontent. One of the, 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 the great issues in this life, I think, especially for Christians these days, I see it cropping up, is um, comparison. When we compare ourselves or our stuff to anything else, it creates a spirit of discontent. God says comparing yourself and your stuff to other people is dumb. How many of you have ever bought like a new car or a new computer, a new something and then next year's model comes out and it's got a new gizmo on it? And you just think, oh, why didn't I wait? I need that gizmo. You know, I need that little, that little whirly thing. I need that. See, life over and over again, tries to get us to compare ourselves and our stuff to the the latest gizmo so that we would be discontent. Do you run after the gizmos? Are you discontent? Because if you are, God can't trust you with wealth until you start learning to be content. That's part of this journey. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why God chose to tie our faith to something like money something like finances I do know this money is engaged with our whole lives we we try to earn it we spend it we try to save it we we think about it all the time and so God has chosen our finances to be a litmus test for our faith one because he wants us to ask him and two because he wants us to learn to be content God, God wants that see one of the realities about contentment is if you don't learn to be content you will never experience the fullness of joy that God has for you. You'll never experience financial peace until contentment finds its way in your life. A third biblical premise for growing in financial peace is this, financial peace produces fruit when I practice giving by faith. When I start giving away my financial resources that God has given me when I start giving it by faith. This is called in the scripture in different places, um, it's kind of a, a, a title to this giving, it's called the law of sowing and reaping. Some of you have heard about it. Second Corinthians chapter 9 really points this out, it says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now that principle is a universal law and you can apply it to anything in your life. If you sow criticism, guess what you're going to get back? If you you sow kindness, guess what you're going to get back? If you sow generosity, it's going to come back to you that way. Uh, Another example, if you sow energy, guess what you're going to get back? If If you start going to the gym today, you know, by the end of the day you may be a little tired, but guess what you're going to have tomorrow? more energy, because God's designed your body that way, you know. Um, if you go and give blood, guess what happens immediately when that pine is drained? Your body starts rapidly producing new blood. It's the product of sowing and reaping. Oh, by the way, we have a blood drive next Sunday. Okay, so don't forget to sign up so that you get some new blood. Okay, great way to renew. See God restore something in you. See, whatever you need more of, this principle is, give it away. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. Every farmer knows this. You know, if a farmer has, you know, four bags of seed in his barn. And he goes out and he looks at his field and it's barren, you know. That farmer could go over here and say, oh man, I love my seeds. I just love my seeds I'm scared if I throw them out there I'll never see my seeds again anybody met a farmer that acts like that? what does the farmer do with his seeds? he puts it out in the field because that farmer knows not only is he gonna get his four bags back it's gonna get multiplied back a hundredfold. it's gonna come back exponentially because he planted it in the ground see here's kind of a just a brain worm for you to think about when you need something sometimes what you need to do is plant a seed you just need to to put something in you need to move something forward and it's not just with plants it's with everything in our lives everything in in our lives now it seems absolutely illogical it seems like if I have a need I would want I wouldn't want to give in that area I'd want to get it's illogical but that's why it requires faith That's why this is a faith issue. See, God says his ways are not like ours. And his ways when it comes to financial peace are not like ours. God set it up this way, I believe, because of who he is at the core of his being. And who God is at the core of his being is generous. God's a giver. How much did God love? So much that he gave his only begotten son. God's this incredible giver and he wants you and me to learn to be like him. That's what this journey of life is about. See if it wasn't then when you came to know Jesus he'd have just killed you and took you to heaven. But he's got a plan to reproduce in your life the fruit of his son so that you and I will look like Jesus. See if we don't learn to be generous if we don't learn to give if we just live stingy miser kind of way We will never be on the path of Christ's likeness. And when God set up the universe, what he said is, I'm going to reward my children for sowing generously. They're going to be like me. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, give and it will be given you. For with the measure that you use to give, it will be measured back to you. God wants you to... He wants to build a great character in you. He wants you to become this great giver. See, the the point is this. When I hoard money, it becomes all about what I've got. It's only when I give it away into the work of God that God will multiply it back. You know, we, we like to say this. This is how most of us kind of approach this issue. We like to say, Lord, when all of my needs are met... Then I will start being generous. I'll start giving it away. But see that's the inverse of the law of sowing and reaping. God says no. When you start giving away. Then. And only then will all of your needs start being met. God is saying you and I need to prime the pump. Because that requires faith. We we looked at this verse a moment ago from 2 Corinthians. It says this. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things that at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work. What word got repeated? All. All. He keeps saying this, this all, this every, this everything. That's God's plan that everything in your life be impacted by this. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 God's word says this He says honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income and he will fill your barns to overflow. This is this principle again but it's related specifically now to tithing. Tithing is this, it's the principle that every time I make a hundred dollars the first ten percent of it, the first ten dollars goes to God. When I make a thousand dollars, the first hundred goes to God. Some people somehow have got it in their minds that tithing is like charity. Tithing is not charity tithing is an act of worship. I I don't give to God, I don't give to somebody else the tithe. I give it to God. It's an act of worship that says God it all came from you. I'm giving you the first part of all of it back. I told you that we had a special guest that's coming with us. W.H., would you make your way up here my friend? Please sir. He's on his way. One of the first things WH is going to tell you when he gets here is how young he is. You made it up. Yep, already. Have a seat, brother. And don't forget you get a talking on that. <laughs> Seriously, how 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 young are you, WH? I'm 87, 87 years old. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, amen. Now um, I understand you're married. How long have you been married?
1: Uh, Let's see. I've been married 69 years. 69 years. Amen. That's awesome. To the same woman. To the same woman. (laughs) To the same woman.
0: Well, we we will ask God to continue to bless Miss Murders because she needs it. (laughs) She needs it. Um, For those of you that never had the opportunity to meet WH, uh, WH uh, has some. Quite frankly incredible stories uh, of the way that God has moved in his life. Um, there was a long time, when did you come to Christ?
1: March the 5th, 1970. Now Kit,
0: um, in the first service when we, I asked, kind of asked you this question, how would you describe your life before Christ?
1: You told me we can't use those words in here, Job. <laughs> um. <laughs> before I was, became a Christian, I was really, really bad. Yeah bad, bad. Yeah. Um, spent some
0: time in and out of jail at times. You saw some cells, I think, and you told me before one time. Yeah. You, th- there was a, a time or two that you saw the inside of a jail cell. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and there were times that you were known for kind of a, being a ball, barroom brawler. Right. And, uh, just a uh, lot of trouble.
1: Did that a lot.
0: Yeah. And now you were married to Miss Murtis during part of that, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, she got to see Jesus transform you in incredible ways, is that? That's
1: the truth. Amen. Yes.
0: Amen. Um, now, W.H., one of the things that I know that you have shared with me before is, is lots of ways that God has transformed your life. But um, I, I wanted you to share just for a moment with our congregation how, um, how God has blessed you as you... You know, came to know him and then
1: began giving back to him. What does that look like in your life? Well, God has blessed me in many ways, but I'll tell you one story about it. It's a true story. I doubt if many of you would believe it. After I became a Christian, about three years, I got in an accident. I was out of work three months, no work. I had four kids, I had pay house payment light bill, all the regular stuff, no income, nobody helped, no church, nobody. We paid our bills. We had plenty to eat, sent our kids to school and everything for three months. And how that happened. Me and my wife ain't never figured it out. We sit down at the table, pencil and paper and try to figure it out, and it never came out. And it hadn't come out to this day and we still do it sometime. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: And you credit God with that? Oh yeah.
1: Who else? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, that is one of, of many stories that, you know, I've, I've heard you share in our relationship over the years uh, as you have, have trusted the Lord. Um, when, when you think, W.H., about, about your life in Christ and you have come to know God as, as the one who has provided for you in
1: so many ways, what would you tell the rest of our congregation? The best thing in life, if you're a Christian, don't worry. Put all your worries on Jesus Christ. He said he would take care of you, and he will. But you've got to ask him. You can't worry about it. Ask Jesus, and you won't have to worry. Because worry is of the devil. He puts that in your mind
0: now you're 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 80 87 years old right and you still go to
1: work how many days a week six days a week six days a week you're in the shop now. i don't i don't have to work right let's get that straight but i love it <laughs> now you how many businesses <laughs> people think i'm crazy <laughs> how many businesses do you run i own, I, I own a business and I'm a partnership in another business okay so, and, and God still has given you the kind of energy
0: in life to get out there and go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never get sick. <laughs> that, we're grateful. Thank you for taking the time to share with us, uh, brother. And uh,
1: Thank you. Amen.
0: <laughs> Y'all give W.H. a hand if you would. <clears throat> there are many other people that I could have brought up here. Uh, to talk about the way that they have come to know God as the one who provides, who provides for for all of their needs. And, you know, this idea of putting God first so that God will bless you so that your barns overflow, God says, give me the first part. He doesn't say, pay all your bills then give. You know, people have come to know that. People like WH have come to, to understand that. Does God say that because God needs your money more than you do? No, God says it because God knows that that first part, that first part represents your heart. That first 10% represents your heart. And the Bible says where your heart is, it's where your treasure is. And God knows that that's where, where people's heart gets stuck to. See, if, if Jesus isn't, you know, to say Jesus is number one in your life, but he's not first in your finances. Uh, pastorally speaking, you're kidding yourself. He's, he's not. You're just kidding yourself to say those two things because they're incongruent. God says give the first part of your income to the Lord and watch him bless it. Now I can tell you personally that God does miracles with 90% when you give him 10 that he doesn't do when you try to hold on to 100%. He does miracles with that 90%. Some of you think I can't afford to tithe. As your pastor... That's one of the leaders here. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to if you want financial peace. If you want God to restore that to you. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, the Bible says, All the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It is the Lord's. Now, some people think that what tithing means is, I take that 10% and I give, you know... 2% 2% to SPCA and 2% to that ministry on TV and 2%. That's, that's not the Lord's. If you're deciding where it goes, it's not the Lord's. 10% of the tithe verse in Leviticus means you bring it to the Lord and you leave it there. You let it go. You don't try to control it or manage it. That's not your place. I think the most important verse in the Bible, you've heard me say this before about tithing, is in Deuteronomy 14. And it simply says this in verse 23. The, perfect, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first place in your life. Always. Quickly, the last biblical premise for growing in financial peace. It's the only time we get today is this one. Is financial peace moves from a sprout. It moves from blossoming. It moves from just bearing fruit to a great harvest. When I begin to trust God with my entire life when I just pour my life into him. Jesus said in Matthew 6 your Heavenly Father already knows perfectly well all that you need and he will give it to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to live. Far too many Christ followers live like they are spiritual orphans forgetting that they have a Heavenly Father who loves them, who knows what they need, who's just waiting on them to ask so that he can provide. Jesus said, God takes care of birds, meets all their needs. They trust him. Do you trust God more than a bird? Will you trust him more than a bird? See, WH talked about worry a moment ago. Every time I give myself over to worry, you know what I'm practicing? I'm practicing atheism. When I give myself over to worry, I'm practicing atheism because what I'm saying is it's, you know, if, it, if it's going to work, it depends on me. There's no powerful God. Now, folks, that's just not in the Bible. As your heavenly father, he's got a handle on all this. Worry should be a warning light that you're not trusting God. And you, got, you get into trouble when you live a life filled with doubt. We just, we get into trouble there. What we need to do is become people who say, my trust, my security, my hope is in the Lord. The God who provides. The God who wants to restore. And then these other things, the Bible says, come with him. See, God's plan for your life and my life is that we would get to the place that we're totally rooting our trust in him. And God says that one of the most prominent places that that needs to show up is in the area of our finances so that he can give you financial peace. He says, will you trust me? That's what he asks. One of the things that I love about this church took place last Sunday night in our family meeting. In our family meeting, our church voted on our 2018 budget. And it's a bold budget. Um, It's a budget that will push us Uh, in order to achieve that but the budget is built on the needs that God has laid out for us to try to meet in our neighborhood in our community in our city and around the world and it will only happen as God's people practice these principles that lead to God restoring financial peace it's a budget based on faith rooted on faith And I'm excited about the opportunity for God to move us forward there because I know that if he's doing that, that what he's doing in your life individually is he's showing up as the God who provides and you're trusting him that way. So I'm looking forward to good things personally for our church financially and you individually as you come to see God as your God who provides. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in this moment. We come thanking you that, Lord God, you are, you desire to be known intimately by us, and that God, one of the ways that you want us to know you is that you are our God who provides. And so Father, I pray for anybody in this room who showed up today, who's been doubting that, who's been living, maybe even in fear. Maybe in lack of provision. And so we come now God. Having heard your word. Having read it God. Seen over and over again God. Your promises. That are then rooted in. These premises for us. How we can live. To step into. Seeing financial peace restored in our lives. So Lord we come. We come now to worship. We come now to give back to you. That tithe, that first 10%, that is where our heart's at. We give it to you, God, because we want our hearts with you. We come and give you our worship now, God, because we want our hearts to proclaim your goodness and the joy that we have in you. So we pray, God, that you will receive our gifts physically, our worship spiritually. We just ask you to receive it all now as a gift back to you. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 930 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.